Don't we love this guy right here? Do we love Pastor Hank so much? Love Pastor Hank so much. Back uh, almost 35 years ago, he gave this guy a shot. It gave him an opportunity, brother. And I don't really know what he was thinking, but uh, I think I the Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, the Lord has used him to just leave such an impact on our family and on my personal life and with Marquita and he and Mary Lou. And I, I just want you to know you are loved in this, you, not just with this family, but in this fellowship. So thank, thank you, you brother. Bless, bless you, Pastor. You, you know. And we're. We're excited just as you're in this time of transition, and uh, I told somebody, I said, let me get this straight. Um, you know, Summer, you, you know, Summer, you're asking a seven-year-old girl to be the pastor's wife? What? <laughs> you know what? She's supposed to be seven years old in my head. You know, she's still running around, you know, chasing whatever. And, uh, but no, we're excited for those guys and all that they're doing. And uh, I'll tell you, the Lord is good. Pastor Hanks was always kind when we were on staff here that we would go to these preacher meetings. And we were in a preacher meeting one time, and uh, it was a, one of those things, a couple of days, and they were having this luncheon. And I was the youth pastor, loving young people, loving, just doing loving ministry, loving the church, life is good. And Pastor Hanks said, do you want to go to the missions luncheon? And I heard, I only heard one word in that sentence, lunch. That's what I heard. Man, I want to go to the luncheon, you bet. Now, maybe they'll give you a free ink pen or a coffee cup or something. Let's go to that. So I went into this missions luncheon thinking, this is nice and real, real nice. And we sit down there, and, man, they, there's a, I can't remember what it was. It was all good. We got free lunch out of the deal. And then they started, can we show you a video? And they started showing this video. And I sat there, and I cried. I cried and cried and cried. And right there, the Holy Spirit invited me to join his great commission army. And it, that luncheon changed my life. And Pastor Hanks, you were a major part of getting me in that room that day. Now, convincing me was easy. Convincing Marquita was a whole other story, you know. <laughs> but the Lord was kind to us through those years. And uh, I'm going to invite James to come up here. Usually this is what his mother does, but she said he can do this today. He has no idea what we're about to do. But uh, I want to bear... The last time, Pastor, he was on this stage, I think you were holding him. So... <laughs> Pastor Hanks dedicated him uh, many years ago, and uh, this morning I'd like to pray before we look. Why don't we all stand? We're going to be looking at Psalm 50, and I just want to take a moment. I'm going to like to pray in Dutch, and James is going to translate for us, okay? Uh, yeah. Don't give me that. This guy went to the Netherlands, went out in the street with a little kid named Daniel, and learned Dutch in a month. I've been trying to learn Dutch for 25 years, and it still makes mistakes. But this guy got fluent real quick, and so I'm going to invite him to translate. Can we just pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us? Liefer Vater in Hemel. Dear Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for van morgen. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. And for deze gemeente. And for this church. And for onze voorganger, Pastor Hanks. And for our pastor, Pastor Hanks. Jesus, this is a family. Jesus, this is a family. There's so few mentioned that is in here more than all over the world hang. There's so many people here from all over the world. My Jesus, why is a family? But Jesus, we are a family. And your Heilige Geest is so basic in us. And your Holy Spirit is so busy in us. Say what you will take us vandaag. Say what you want this morning. Do in our heart what you will van morgen. Do in our hearts what you want this morning. Maar stort je Heilige Geest uit over ons, Jezus. But pour your Holy Spirit over us. Wij hebben je Heilige Geest zo hard nodig. 
We need your Holy Spirit so much. so hard Jesus. We need it so much, Jesus. Come with your Heilige Geest. Come with your Holy Spirit. You've been We invite you in this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, I want to look at Psalm 50, be brief. I tell people that, you know, in, in Dutch, I can preach about 20 minutes, 20, 25. In English, I can go two hours, easy, three, four. So I tell people, what do you want, a Dutch sermon or an English one? And it's amazing how people, they're very nice. Oh, Tim, you, you know, I said, listen, you want the Dutch one. I know what you want. You want the 20-minute, we don't understand what he's saying, but it's only 20 minutes. And Marquita would say, welcome to my world, you know. <laughs> There's a passage of Scripture in Psalm 50 that we pre- you hear, preached a lot. You hear people talk about it. And, and, man, we love this verse. At the end of the verse, it says that the, everything is his and the cattle on a thousand hills. And we talk about how we love the cattle on a thousand hills, don't we? We love hearing sermons about it. We love hearing stories. We love hearing testimonies. Because when I think of cattle on a thousand hills, many of you know I was a farm boy in Illinois. And I'll tell you what, I see these rolling hills that are perfect. I see all these cows. I mean, they're just these big old cows everywhere, and the calves are frolicking. It's just so perfect. It's so domesticated. It's so tamed. Everything's wonderful. And, man, we love that, don't we? We love that thought. In fact, I've heard people say not only is he, you know, does he have the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills too. It's just great. So it's not just, you know, isn't it wonderful? It's so tamed and domesticated and perfect. But that's not all that the verse says. Let's go ahead and put the verse up for us. Let's let's see what the verse also says. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. You see, we love the idea of the cattle on a thousand hills where everything's perfect. But what about out in the forest with the wild animals? where things aren't tame, where they're not domesticated, where there's kind of there's thorns and there's brush and it's hot and there's dust and, and there's mud and there's animals and who knows what's out there, snakes and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus wants us to know he is Lord of both. He's Lord of both. And when I think of this passage, I think very quickly of the book of Ruth. In fact, there are moments I think that why we... They didn't call it the book of Naomi because it's really about a woman named Naomi. You see, Naomi lived over here. It was great. She had a husband. She had two sons. Life is wonderful. And the Bible says in Ruth 1.1 that when judges ruled, and just let this soak in a minute. When judges ruled, a famine came into the land. Sound like a good group of people you know today? You know, the governments are in charge, everybody's got it, and then the famine comes and it falls apart. And we find out that they really don't know what to do, right? They're kind of running, like, what do we do? And that's what happened here. And so Naomi, the Bible says when judges ruled, famine came in the land, and Naomi's family, they moved to Moab. They left because people got to do what they got to do to make it. And so she left. Now, Moab, we would call today, they were an unreached people group. Now, missiologists have said, basically, these missiologists have said that there's five levels of people in the world, that there's green dot people. Those are people where there's a lot of Christians and a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of churches. So, in America, would be a lot of green dot. That there's a lot of, not that there's not work to be done, but there's just a lot of believers and a lot of churches. 
Then you would have a light green dot, which means, well, there's not quite as many. And then there'd be a yellow dot where it means, well, it's, boy, not a lot. Then it would be an orange dot. Whoa, we're, man, this, there's just not very many believers at all. And then there would be a red dot. Now, the red dot means there are not enough Christians among this people group for them to ever experience a move of the Lord. There's just not enough Christians, less than 2%. And Moab was a red dot place. There were no followers of God there. There were godless people, and so people that wanted nothing to do with God. And so here they are. They're living over here where everything's great, and all of a sudden famine hits, so they start moving. And they end up over here where it's a little out of control. But, you know, they're doing okay when all of a sudden her husband dies. That's bad, but she's got the two sons. Two sons are married, and so they've got some some daughter-in-laws. And all of a sudden, one son dies, and then the next son dies. And Naomi, who's living over here where everything's great, all of a sudden is launched into the forest, the untamed, the undomesticated, the out of control, the chaos. And because you've got to realize when that happened to her, she moved from a woman who had a husband and sons and she had something. And she has now lost everything. In fact, culturally, she just became a beggar. And her life is a mess. She's over here. It's my life's a mess. And this morning I could stand and talk to you about things that we have seen the Lord do for the last 25 years of missions. But I believe the Lord wants to speak to us some things he wants to do. Not just things he's done, but things he'd like to do. And the first one we need to understand is that he sees us. I have no idea what you're facing. I have no idea what you're going through. I have no idea about anything in your life other than this. God sees you. He sees us. The God of all creation, I see you. And see, we have no problem believing that he saw us 20 years ago when Aunt Becky was taking good care of us and life was great and everything's wonderful. And, you know, the church is fine and everything. He sees us then. And we have no problem believing, oh, sure, he'll see us in 20 years from now. We have no problem he saw us back then. He'll see us in the future. The issue is always, does he see me right now? Job understood this. He even says in the book of Job, he says, if only I knew where to find him. And I believe there are people in the church during this COVID season that I don't, again, I have no idea what you're going through, but I believe we've all found that moment of, God, where are you? Where are you? How could all this be happening? God, where are you? And I'm reminded of the words of Job, who said, if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work at the north, I don't see him. When I turn to the south, I can't catch a glimpse of him. Some of you have been at the place, if I could just get a glimpse of what God's doing. And you can't see him. And Job says this, but he knows the way I take. And when you're in that place of God, I don't know where you're at. And I don't, what are you doing? I don't see you. Know this, he sees you. He sees us. He sees us. He sees us. Every bit of it, he knows all of it. And he sees us. There is not one second, one moment, one glimpse of an eye that you are out of the sight of what God's doing. He sees you. He sees you. And 
he saw Naomi that day. He saw her standing there when the one daughter-in-law left. And she says, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to my, to my land where I'm going to be a beggar now. I've lost everything. And I'll just have to be one of these people that pick up grain along the edge of the field. I'll be homeless. And I don't have a future. I don't have a hope. There's nothing for me. And there's this one daughter-in-law who says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. In fact, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And Naomi must have been like, are you kidding me? Do you see what I have to offer you? I have nothing to offer you. But Ruth could see there was something deeper in her than her political, her economical, or her physical situation. There was something in Naomi that God had placed in her through her whole journey. It didn't matter if she was over here where it was perfect. When it was in chaos, you could still see it. It was still in her, and Ruth could see it. I want that. And friends, I believe that God looked at Ruth too. He sees us. He knows where we are. A couple of years ago, uh, we were... Uh, we were... Um, I have a real heart for unreached peoples, those, those red dot folks. And in Europe, we had these uh, group of people, red dot folks, um, the Sami people who lived above the Arctic Circle. And so I went to a friend of mine who lived in Stockholm, and I said, let's, uh, let's go see what we can do above with the Sami, the reindeer herders above the Arctic Circle. Let's go see, just see what happens. They're less than 2% Christian. Let's see what happens. And so... His name was Phil, and so Phil, said, when Phil and I got together and said, tell you what, let's send out some emails to everybody we know who might know something about the Sami people. We sent out 12 emails, and we got zero responses back. Nobody responded to our emails. So Phil said, what do we do? I said, you know what, let's just go. So Phil's a young guy, so I said, where do you want to go? I said, Phil, you pick. You pick the town, I don't care. Let's just go. So Phil picked the furthest airport on that continent. You can't go any further by a plane than Phil picked. So Phil and I got all the way up to this town in Sweden, and it was October, second week of October, it was a blizzard. It was terrible. Weather, what are we doing here? Phil and I were, man, this is bad, and spend the night, the next morning, it's quit snowing, but now there's snow everywhere, it's cold. What are we doing here? We spent a whole day walking around, we met people, but we didn't meet any Sami people. In fact, just a, a side note, we met a, a lady from Australia who was looking for God. And the Lord put Tim and Phil in her life right there above the Arctic Circle. She was on a world tour just searching, and we met her. But we went to bed then, I, Phil and I sat in the room and said, you know, we haven't met any Sami people. And so we remember the next morning we had our breakfast and we prayed together. Said, God, we, we want to meet some Sami people. We're here for Sami. God, just give us some Sami people. And, and so we went out again. And now this time we're walking. We're, we're going down a hill on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, Pastor Hanks, I slipped. And I can tell you, friends, that, that fallen's one thing. That landed's a whole other animal. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I felt it all over the place, okay? Man, I hit the ground. I'm sure Phil was shocked. I hit that ground, and I looked up, and I said, we're done walking downhill. <laughs> no more of that. And there was a street here. We're going this way. So we walked alongside the hill down the sidewalk, down this road, and we're going down. 
And all this couple blocks later, there was this big building. It said Sami Parliament. So Phil's doing the selfie thing, taking pictures in front of the building. I said, Phil, let's go inside. He said, oh, we can't go in there. Now, that's where the gray hair pays off. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, let's just go in. What are they going to do, throw us out? Let's just go. So Phil and I went in, and sure enough, when you walk into government buildings and you don't know anybody, you just start walking around, they come and find you, okay? <laughs> okay? Doesn't take long, they find you. So all of a sudden, this lady walks up to, to Phil and I, and they're speaking the Swedish with my Dutch. I can kind of understand what's going on a little bit. And all of a sudden, this woman says to Phil, she stops, and in English, she says, are you Phil? No, I was like, whoa. She said, I got your email. She was the public relations director for the Sami Nation. Her and her husband, Halka, were followers of Jesus. By lunchtime, I was in, having lunch in the Sami Parliament cafeteria, and that night we were in their home. And I remember that moment, and I asked them, do you know any other Sami Christians? And they looked at each other and said, we don't know another single Sami believer. You see, friends, Jesus not only sees you, he sees the unreached people. He sees them. He saw Maria and Halka, that they lived faithfully for him in a land that wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And they lived there every day. And Phil and I, with the help of BGMC, were able to help them to make a long story short. Today, there is a church to the glory of God among the Sami people. Because he sees us. He sees us. And friends, that's got to mean something. That the God of all creation sees you. He sees you when you're so lonely and hurting. He sees you. And he saw Naomi. So first, he sees us. Secondly, he wants to bring a breakthrough. We see this. Naomi and Ruth, they go back to the land, and now all they can do is glean along the field. That's it. That's all they got. And so Ruth goes out to glean along the field, and all of a sudden, Boaz shows up. And if you know the story, it's a beautiful story. It's short. Read the Bible. It's only four chapters. really short. Boaz shows up, and Marquita and I have this dispute. Marquita says that Boaz looked up, well, who's that young lady working over there? That's what he says. Who's that over there? And Marquita thinks he says, you know, who, who is that? I said, he's not saying that. He's going, who is that? <laughs> Come on, people. You know what I'm talking about. He sees her over there. Yeah, who's that? I want to know her name. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. And so Boaz, he starts working the angle a little bit and gets to meet her. And all of a sudden, breakthrough comes. And to make a long story short, Boaz ends up marrying her. They get together. It's a beautiful story. But it's also a story for the church. It's a story for the church. And when we get on the other side of COVID, and I think we're almost there, I, this is my prayer for the church. You see, friends, all Ruth had, all she could do was glean along the edge of the field the enemy says, I'll let you have a little harvest. I'll let you get a little bit. 
Friends, when you make Boaz the kinsman redeemer, when you make Jesus Lord of it all, you don't get the edge anymore. You get the whole field. It's all yours. In that moment, all of it. All of it. Ruth owns all of it. There's no more gleaning on the edge. There's no more a church that's satisfied. Friends, this means something right here. Jesus is saying we're going to go to the whole field. All of them. All of them. And for you school teachers, and for all of us, this hit me while the testimony. What a beautiful testimony this morning. What a beautiful testimony. If you're planting seeds, take it from a farm boy. When I used to go out in the field and plant the seed, the field's all, there's nothing there, just dirt. Plant the field. You know what that field looked like when we left? The same way it looked when we went in. But there was something inside of it now. And when we plant that seed, there's something there now. And when God does it, he's up to something now. And he's not going to stop. The gospel seed goes in and it doesn't stop. It's going to grow. Something's going to happen. And there's breakthrough. Breakthrough. Go ahead, brother. Put the picture up. I want to introduce you to somebody. I have no idea if this is her real name. We call her Sarah. Sarah lives in Suriname. She's Sarah Makah. The Sarah Makah, 300 years ago when slavery came to our hemisphere, people in the southern part ran into the jungles of South America, and Sarah's people still live there. They live along the edges of rivers and villages, and there's 65 Sarah Makah villages. They don't have running water, electricity, or medical, or you know, school. They don't have a lot. Really just impoverished people, wonderful people, but they just don't have a lot. And you might say, well, that's terrible that they don't have electricity or running water and they live, you know, there's no roads and they, they, they just do life. And maybe you say, that's, that's just, that's terrible. But can I tell you, that's not Sarah's biggest problem. Her biggest problem is, you see, there's a red dot next to her name. There's not enough believers among the Sarah Makah that if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't go to her, they will never have a breakthrough of the gospel. There's just no way if the church doesn't go to her to bring the breakthrough. And friends, I believe that Sarah is worthy of Jesus, but more than that, Jesus is worthy of Sarah. He's worthy to receive praise from the Sarah Makah people. He's worthy to receive glory in their lives. He's worthy of it. He died, and when he hung on the cross, he just didn't think of us. He thought of her as well. And we need a breakthrough. Breakthrough. And some of you in this place, you need a breakthrough. You know that God sees you, but God, I need a breakthrough. There must be a breakthrough. Finally, I believe the Lord's telling us not only does he see us and not only does he want to bring a breakthrough, and I invite you to be ready for the breakthrough in your families. Be ready for it. Get ready. I've got to believe that God wants to do something more than we can imagine. He wants to bring a breakthrough. Thirdly, though, when you live over here, there's going to be scars. There's going to be scars, people. Naomi, the Bible says that Ruth and Boaz get together and 
know what happens to Naomi? She's got her scars. She never gets her husband back. She never gets her son back. She never gets her second son back. She never gets him back. We never hear of her remarrying. We never, we never hear of any of that. But you know what we hear? She's sitting one day when Ruth has a baby. And we know that baby will be the grandfather of King David. And they come over, and the Bible says they lay the baby in her lap. She's living over here. And in the middle of this, she gets the future grandson, the grandchild, her, the grandfather of King David is laid in her lap. You want to talk about generational ministry. Naomi, who loses everything, finds herself with this baby in her lap who will be the grandfather of King David. That baby not only will impact Israel, friends, it impacts us today. It's, it's, it impacts us today. And in the middle of all of her scars, in the middle of all the hurt and all the pain, this baby is laid in the Bible says she gets to care for him. She gets to care for him. And God wants to use you in a mighty way to do something generationally. We can't serve an infinite God who wants to do, he wants to do far more than we want to do in limited mind. He wants to do something infinite in our lives, and it will cross generations. It will cross generations. Our scars are there. They know. I have no idea what your scars are. I have no idea. I'm thinking of my friend Andy, whose father passed away. And because of COVID restrictions in Europe, he couldn't go to the funeral. I had to watch his dad's funeral on, face, on FaceTime. I had to go to the graves. I said I couldn't be there. And some of you may have stories like that. And I'm telling you, our scars do not exempt us from the Great Commission journey. In fact, they may be our entrance ticket to it. The scars you're experiencing, the pain. I know, I know you don't want to hear this. We like it over here, remember? We want this. We want this. But God sometimes allows us to go here because he wants to do something amazing in our lives. He wants to put a hope and a future right in our laps. And all we have to do is care for it. I'm finished with this. We have a friend. We, we know some folks. Girl was 13 years old. The family was going through some stuff, and they moved to a new town. She was 13. And you just imagine what 13-year-old girl's going through and all the stuff. And she found herself in a new school. And no, she didn't have any friends, and nobody liked her. And she was miserable. Why do we have to come to this stupid town? Why do I have to go to this stupid school? She's miserable. She said, I, one day I came home from school and I was so angry. I was so hurt. I just, why was my life so disrupted? Why? I mean, I liked it over here. Why am I now living in this? I hate this so much. Why did my, why did my mother do this to me? And she said she went into her bedroom and she went into the closet and she shut the door of the closet and she put her back up against the wall hiding in the closet and she, was, she took the clothes that were hanging and covered her face and she wept and wept into the clothes and she heard her mother call her name. And she said, I'm not going to answer. If she loves me, she'll find me. I'm not answering. 
And the mother started calling louder and louder and louder. And you can imagine as a parent, just where, where is she? Let's say her name was Mary. It's not, but let's say it was Mary. Mary. And the mother's voice got louder. Mary. Mary, Mary, where are you, Mary? She's yelling, and now she's just out of control, frantically looking for Mary. Mary, Mary, where are you? Mary, we, we've lost a child. Mary, where, where are you? Mary, I'm right here. Where are you, Mary? And she said, I'm not going to say a word. If she loves me, she'll come to me. And the mother's voice got so out of control, just frantic looking, and all of a sudden the closet door flew open, and she said, oh, no, Mom's mad now. She's mad now. She said her mother looked at her. She said her mother got down on her knees and climbed into the closet with her. And they both sat there and wept and cried. And she held her so close and prayed blessing over her. Because you see, friends, the world we live in, there are people who are so broken. They're so hurting. And they're hiding in a closet. They're saying, God, if you love me, you'll come to me. And God says, I'm going to come to you through my church. I'm going to send all these people to you. I'm going to send them to you. And they don't come with their judgment. And they don't come with their condemnation. You come with the love of Jesus. And we embrace them and we hold them and we cry with them. This lady, 45 years later, was standing at her mother's funeral. And she told the story I just told you. And then she said this, do you know why that's my favorite story about my mom? Because see, friends, her mother was going through some horrendous stuff on that day. Her scars were way deeper than that 13-year-old girl had ever experienced. But in the middle of her scars and her brokenness, she could embrace somebody else. She, could, and she said, my mother taught me. When she did that, she taught me this lesson. My mother was Jesus to me. And we are called to be Jesus to others. Not to condemn, but to wrap our arms around and say, we're here, you're loved and accepted. We take you just as you are. We love you and we weep over you. And that's what Naomi did. She took that baby. It was laid right in her lap. Let me pray for you this morning before pastor comes. Holy Spirit, right now, Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come in this place. I believe there are broken, hurting people right here. Maybe they're online. They can hear. They're hearing this, Lord, and they're sitting there. Maybe they're weeping right now because it hurts so bad. Their scars are so deep. And maybe, Lord, they're saying, God, if you love me, you'll come to me. And, Lord Jesus, by your word and by your church and by your spirit, we go. We go to take your love to others, Lord Jesus. So, Father, I invite your Holy Spirit right now to speak and have your way in this place. Speak to us now in Jesus' name.